Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. It's been a busy week. It's been a little bit hectic. But uh, look, we, we've got, a, we got a, a powerhouse edition of Powerhouse Politics. And Rick Klein, you just came from Hershey, Pennsylvania. You were at your first Trump rally since the campaign. In a really long time. It is fascinating, John. I mean, I, I am blown away by so much about what I saw and heard and the people I talked to from that event. So much has changed since 2016, but so much hasn't changed in, since 2016. Uh, and we'll, we'll bring you in the back half of the podcast a little bit of the interview I did with the communications director for the campaign. But, John, it, it was on an extraordinary day, the day that the House actually introduced articles of impeachment against the president. And you'd never know it from the president's bravura performance and the way he was received. Of course, he slammed the Democrats in a whole lot of ways, but he was as confident of his political standing as ever there in Pennsylvania. Donald Trump confident? Uh, it's true. It's true. John. It's true. And and it and he draws on the confidence of the crowd and the, and the way that he is, frankly, idolized by so many of his supporters. He draws energy from that and I think draws inspiration in the battles ahead. Uh, all all of the mocking that he had of the Democrats, basically saying they don't have the goods on him, that they're uh, wimping out in terms of impeachment. And he brings it all to, to bear in a battleground. OK, I, I've got we have a lot to get to. Uh, we, you t- spoke with the communications director for the campaign, uh, Tim Murtaugh. Uh, we're going to get to that in the second half. Uh, but there's so much. This has been such a fascinating week in American politics and arguably in American political history. You have the impeachment articles introduced uh, by the Democrats against Donald Trump. You have uh, the release of this, of this the IG report, uh, Horowitz, uh, Horowitz yeah. report uh, on um, the, uh, the origins of the Russia investigation. And amidst all of this, in fact, in like almost the same moment, you have Donald Trump arguably achieving getting two of his greatest bipartisan victories as president of the United States. Nancy Pelosi comes out Tuesday morning with uh, with her, her committee uh, chairs, announces the articles of impeachment are about to be introduced, goes into the back room, comes back less than an hour later and says, voila, we have an agreement on the um, USMCA. Yeah. And which is the, of course, the, the, this trade agreement that is an absolute top Trump Priority. I mean, he campaigned on repealing NAFTA and replacing it. He came in, he negotiated a deal with the Mexicans and the Canadians, and he's been banging the table, demanding Congress act on it for months. They haven't. And then suddenly, boom, he's got that. And of course, he also has uh, the um, uh, the uh, Defense Authorization Act, uh, which is a- another big deal. Uh, you've got this compromise on the issue of parental leave. Um, it's it's fascinating. He's scoring legislative victories that have long eluded him at the very same time that he is being decried as a threat to the nation and facing impeachment. And some of those some of those victories he's he's achieving almost despite himself. It's, it's not because of some grand legislative maneuver that the Democrats suddenly decide a year in that they're going to approve USMCA. I've talked to a lot of Democrats on both sides of this argument, John. It is an open argument as to whether Democrats are doing something very smart in showing that they can walk and chew gum and they can continue to govern and get things done, deliver for the American people at the same time that they're pursuing these very somber and sober articles of impeachment. Uh, the flip of it is in terms of the politics, that they're helping some of the moderate members be able to uh, 
deliver on something back home that actually changes the economy. But the other argument is that why would you give the guy you're trying to convince the American public is not fit to hold office, a clear a and present to danger to the, to the nation's security, national security, should not be the president? Why are you handing him these big victories within a couple hours of each other. And, and, and by the way, the if you want to call it hypocrisy, it, 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 we see it on both sides because the, the president, if you remember, right after the midterm elections when the Republicans took a beating, he said he was going to work with Democrats, great to work with Democrats, and he was asked, well, what about the investigations? And he basically said if, they're, if the investigations continue, it's war. Right. And then if you remember, Pelosi came to visit the White House earlier this year, uh, the president walked out on her and went into a press conference in the Rose Garden and said, if they're going to continue their sham investigations, we're not going to work with them. So this is the old, this is the culmination of the biggest of them all. And he's working with the Democrats and the Democrats who are declaring him a threat to the nation are working with him. It's, it's a fascinating moment. But in the midst of all this, and this is really what I want to talk about, and I think I see a potential guest out in the hall, which uh, I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to drag in on the fly if we can. But it's this this notion that th- th- this development uh, surrounding the Horowitz report, which is, uh, again, looking into the origins of, of the Russia investigation. And we have seen Christopher Wray describe the report in one way, Attorney General Barr describe it in an entirely different way, and the President of the United States, you know, having having his way was much closer to Barr's, but like, but to a, to a whole new level. Um but this gets into the question about whether or not the uh, FBI, there was political bias be, uh, uh, behind the FBI's decision to open up this Russia investigation, whether or not it was opened properly. Um, and the report is in many ways devastating to the FBI um, in looking at some of the processes that went through to the course of, of, of this investigation, particularly, of course, the FISA uh, warrants uh, for, uh, for Carter Page. But the the report is pretty decisive that the overall investigation was not was not uh, the, the political bias was not a factor here. And although the president won't concede that at all, he sees it as exactly the opposite. And uh, and of course the extraordinary statements we see from the attorney general uh, and as, as well as the U.S. attorney who's leading like, the investigation. Diametrically opposed. Okay, so wait a minute. I, I want to see. We have. Let, let me just see. Let's see if she's coming. Can, can you come in? Oh, oh. Okay. Um, Yes, yes th- th- this is this is mid podcast. We we have we are just. Uh, oh, we were having so much fun out there though. We were having like our own podcast. We, but not hey 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 hey. It used to be called a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's pretty amazing. Okay, so so we are joined by by Sarah Isger, um, who, as I recall, you were the spokesperson for the U.S. Department of Justice. So so Sarah, and and by the way, I it, am I right now that you are now a writer for the Dispatch? Yes, the brand new conservative publication. Yes, we have a newsletter that you can come sign up for. And David French and I have a legal podcast right now called Advisory Opinions. If you are feeling like you really want to know about the footnotes in the IG report, <laughs> that's what that's where they are. are. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So this is so, so you actually know. So so uh, we, we were trying to kind of struggle with what this all meant because we we did see the report. Oh, yeah. Y'all struggle um, a lot with what things mean. And we did <laughs> and we did listen to what the FBI director uh, said about the report. Uh, yeah. Our own Pierre Thomas sat down with an interview with him. I mean, just as it was coming out. And then no we one saw better than Pierre Thomas. Nobody better. the best when it comes to that stuff. And then we and then we heard uh, Attorney General Barr talk about the report. And then we heard the president of the United States talk about the report. So we, we've heard a lot of different things. But, you know, the president has been very critical of this investigation. Would you agree with that? <laughs> 
from start to finish. Yes. And you remember he talked early on in, in, uh, uh, in 2017 about uh, the wiretapping of Trump Tower uh, by, it seemed like he was blaming Barack the wires Obama. The himself. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, and this this is to a degree addressed in in this report and certainly in, in Pierre Thomas's interview. But I want to I want to play a couple of just on this narrow question. Then, then I want to ask you about a couple of larger issues with this report. But on this question of spying on the Trump campaign, first of all, I, I'd like to play for you something that Donald Trump said last night when he was out with uh, with Rick Klein in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And the FBI also sent multiple undercover human spies to surveil and record people associated with our campaign. Look how they've hurt people. They've destroyed the lives of people that were great people, that are still great people. Their lives have been destroyed by scum, okay, by scum. So that was kind of harsh. Um, but uh, on this question of spying, and the president was a little more careful than he's been in the past in terms of well, maybe not the back half of the quote, but the first half talking about yeah. people associated Human with spies. our with our campaign. Um, but uh, but but listen to this exchange that Pierre Thomas had with um, with Christopher Ray. So the FBI did not spy on the Trump campaign. Well, that's not a term at the FBI we use to describe our work. And the inspector general found that the FBI did not use any human sources or undercover employees. Uh, to report on the campaign, and I think that's important. So there's Christopher Ray's take on it, and now here's what the Attorney General had to say. Do you still stand by your statement that, that, that the campaign was spied upon? Well, it's clearly spied upon. I mean, that's what electronic surveillance is. I think wiring people up to go in and talk to people and make recordings of their conversations is spying. I think going through people's emails, which they did as a result of the FISA warrant, they went through everything, you know, from, from Page's life. Because uh, he know. wasn't in the campaign at the point where nope, they began the surveillance. Yes, but his emails were go back. I mean, the main reason they were going for the FISA warrant initially was to go back historically and seize all his emails and texts and all that stuff from back m months and even years. So they were covering the period that he was in the campaign, and that's exactly the reason they went for the FISA, to get that stuff. So I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just kind of confused. And Horowitz was asked about it as he testified <laughs> before the Senate Judiciary Committee. You know, was there any wiretapping of the Trump campaign, no, there was no wiretapping of the Trump campaign. Was there any effort to recruit spies to go into the Trump campaign? No, there wasn't. So I'm just, I don't know what to make of this. I mean, first of all, Christopher Wray, I, I think was, he, he runs the FBI, he was nominated by the president. He's, the FBI's part of the Justice Department. But So can, can you explain to me? What help, actually help happened? Me, help, me <laughs> help, help me untangle the... This is that famous John Carl understatement. Yeah. <laughs> you've, you've, you've found him out. <laughs> this is what Horowitz is actually so good at. This is our third IG report that touches on this. We had one on the Hillary investigation, one on like a, a sub-IG report on the text message debacle, we'll call it. And then we have this one. And there's always something for everyone. And so I think we're just living in two different universes when it comes to the IG report. You have one side correctly factually stating that there was no political bias in opening the investigation, um, that the, the wires weren't tapped, 
and and all the things we're talking about. And then on the other hand, you also have hundreds of pages of the IG report that discuss glaring problems with the investigation, uh, including not informing the political appointees or misleading the political appointees of both administrations, Obama and Trump, uh, of what they're doing, of what's going on, the the counter information that they're getting. Um, So when I hear that, I'm sort of reminded of the uh, Clinton-esque, it depends on the definition of the word spy is. So so, so, so (laughs) so you you obviously worked over there at the Justice Department um, uh, as as the spokesperson, which meant you were kind of on the front lines of of, of dealing with, with a lot of this stuff. Um, and I think what a lot of people maybe don't understand, the FBI is is in some ways kind of its own world. It is. It's funny, right? On paper, in any org chart, the FBI director reports to the deputy attorney general. And in reality, nobody thinks that's true. The FBI director, uh, <laughs> I mean, one example, the FBI director flies around in a private plane and the deputy attorney general flies coach. Right, right. <laughs> and, and and of course, there is, you know, and the FBI director has a, technically has a 10-year term. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's... You know, but but it's it's just fascinating to me to hear such a diametrically opposed descriptions of what is happening here from the attorney general and the FBI director. So I just looked at one thing, which is this question of spying. But even right. on this question of, on of of you know, was the investigation properly launched? Um, did the FBI? I mean, I mean, it, it, this is this is how tenable is this? I think it's Chris Ray's biggest challenge, and it actually has been his biggest challenge this whole time. He has largely been able to stay under the radar. There's obviously been moments uh, that have popped up, um, including the initial. It's always been about this FISA, but uh, Chris Ray's mission is a law enforcement mission, and we want law enforcement to not be partisan, to not be politically influenced. Uh, improperly. And that is something the FBI prides themselves on to the utmost. At the same time, like we're discussing, they are accountable to and report to and are supposed to be accountable to political appointees and how you match that um, and and create a culture at the FBI that's accountable to political appointees without getting caught up in the politics. But then, then let's talk about the attorney general. I mean, you worked for Jeff Sessions at a time where he was often on the firing line of tweets that were was criticizing his work or urging particular direction for the Justice Department. Sometimes that advice be well taken, other times not. Chris Chris Ray aside, let's talk about Bill Barr here. He is he choosing his words in a way that are designed to 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 make Trump less angry with him? Is he speaking forthrightly about his beliefs about this? He's looking at the same set of facts that that the inspector general and the FBI director are saying this is what it means and he's saying I actually disagree with that entirely. In fairness, I think the inspector general is somewhere in the middle of what not maybe the middle, but I'm not sure the inspector general is quite where Ray or maybe Jim Comey to, to make it more on the extreme of that is. I think what we've seen in his testimony today uh, is, is very Michael Horowitz, if you've seen him testify before. Um, I present the facts to you. You make the judgments. Right. basically his, his, his argument. You That's know? right. Yeah. You know, can you say there was no political bias in the re-upping of the FISA? We did not make any findings on that. You know, like that's that's his. It's a little different um, than I think either of the two of them. So is the attorney general playing to the audience of one? Is that is that is that what this is really about? 
It certainly does play to the audience of one, but I think we've also seen whether it's Bill Barr or Rudy Giuliani, this uh, new era that Trump has ushered in of uh, say whatever you want, Uh, meaning say what you believe. I think that Bill Barr is saying what he thinks. Um, I don't think there's any reason to believe he's he's shading um, that. And I think we've seen that through the Mueller report, et cetera. I think he is. I think the outrage is genuine. How about that? The outrage is genuine. Do you think there's a recognition on his part about how it gets used in the political sphere and does it matter? I mean, again, the president takes it to another level when he speaks about these things. He lumps this into a vast conspiracy that in his mind is not about his conduct at all. As he said, impeachment, he, as he laid it out for his supporters last night in Hershey, it's entirely, he says, about trying to undo the election. And he puts the Democrats in league with the deep state, as he described it, and, and throw in the IG cherry-picked findings and say they're trying to, to, to negate democracy itself. And it, there's a political power in that. And I'm curious, Sarah, where, where you see that fitting into this? Is this empowering this president to make arguments that are just flatly false? I think that, I mean, we don't talk about the politics of this. At this point, is anyone questioning that 2020 will be a base election and that you know, every poll that we're seeing, sure. there was a great democracy fund, UCLA, sort of a new methodology where they looked at the most important issues. Impeachment is the number one issue for Republicans, far more so than Democrats at this point. So for him, politically, it's an incredibly astute thing to do to to wrap these all in together and to find the things in the IG report that support that and ignore the other things, just as I think we see on the flip side, uh, many people taking the beginning of the IG report and ignoring everything that comes after it. So I, I don't know if you saw Lindsey Graham's opening statement today. Did you? Uh, the, I read and saw a couple clips. I did not watch live. Because it is, it, it was really a tour de force. Um, and um, he, he read, you know, chapter and verse, the text messages of, uh, of, of Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, um, which are some really incriminating text messages. I mean, it, it, but these are like the private text messages of you know to uh to to relatively senior people at the uh at the department of justice um fbi uh uh expressing clear disdain for candidate donald trump and 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 president donald trump and by the way side note on this a lot of people like we we throw around political or partisan uh what I don't think we talk enough about is it doesn't look political Democrat versus Republican. When you go read any of those, when you look at all the evidence that Horowitz is looking at, it is very focused on Trump. They they don't like him. So it's not, you know, people can point for both. Oh, most FBI agents are Republican or look, but the leadership was Democrat. It's totally beside the point, I think. Um, this was very specific. They're, they're dislike. Disdain <laughs> for, for Donald Trump. Um, and... And he also went chapter verse and some in, in the errors and and manipulations that were done in in the pursuit of the FISA warrants for for Carter Page, and if you're listening to Lindsey Graham, I mean you start to get a sense. Oh my God! I mean this is what this is a cesspool. This really is a deep state that is out to get Donald Trump. And I think it can prime you to believe any kind of conspiracy theory. And everything that Lindsey Graham is saying is is accurate. I mean he's reading. From material that is in the Horowitz report, I'm not sure we saw before, but it's, um, but how relevant is it to 
everything else. I mean, the Car- Carter Page was like uh, was nothing in the, the ultimately in the Mueller report. Carter Page was a was one avenue that was went down and and and, and led to nothing and it, and nothing in the campaign. I mean, yeah. I feel bad for the guy that he you know that may or may not have been improperly uh, uh, surveilled, but it, it it has nothing. It doesn't bear much of anything, does it, on the overall investigation? And even the the, the text messages back and forth. What does that tell us about? And what does it really tell us about anything besides the, the the personal views of these two individuals? Well, according to Michael Horowitz, nothing. Yeah. Um, I wasn't it Lindsey Graham who said, and if you've ever met Carter Page, he's not exactly James Bond, or you're yes. not yeah. you're not going to confuse him with James Bond. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, and this is, uh, I think, on both sides, or maybe more in the libertarian legal community. It definitely goes to this idea, like, if this is the FISA that they knew was probably going to get the most scrutiny of any FISA application. Imagine what else they're doing. Imagine what else. And, and Horowitz says that in, in slightly different words, but, you know, we can get a nice little block quote in there. Um, and those are the two, I think, looking forward things, because to your point, the investigation's over. Why do we care? I think the FISA process, it's scary that it can have that little uh accountability and oversight even within the Department of Justice, and second, that that accountability was intentionally withheld from the attorneys and the political appointees of mostly the Obama team. It was Sally Yates who said, I can't be responsible for the decisions made in the Department of Justice if they're not telling me what they're doing. I mean, look, it's messed up, and it's bad. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there were things that were done that were that were bad, but it's just that in, in terms of the overall issues that we're faced with, I mean, it's it, it's a different set of issues. It's but like, this is a- the problem we have over and over again, where we're all living in two different universes. For the people who already agreed with Lindsey Graham, who support the president, they hear that, and and that makes perfect and sense And they can imagine them. all the worst on everything else. That's right. And and for the other side, they think that what Lindsey Graham said is totally false and irrelevant and all of that. And so – and here we live on Twitter or – uh, elsewhere, although I would say extra in D.C., <laughs> uh, and ne'er the twain shall meet. Like, they're just two different worlds. And, and so, Sarah, to, to zoom out for just a second, uh, Lindsey Graham didn't always agree with Lindsey Graham. And you, you don't have to go well, back. On, on any given day, yeah. <laughs> yes, you don't have to go back that far to find clips of Lindsey Graham talking about how Donald Trump would destroy the Republican Party. And I don't, I, I'm sorry to have to out parts of your uncomfortable history in, in, in this, but Sarah, you didn't start as a Trumper. I mean, you, you, you were helping I don't know, run. Do you, you finish as a Trumper? I, I'm, I'm worked, and I worked for Jeff Sessions <laughs> you were, you were, before that, but you worked for Carly Fiorina, helped run that campaign. Um, that, Carly, of course, clashed pretty famously with Donald Trump during the campaign. You worked at the RNC back before he liked the RNC or that he's, he kind of owned the RNC. Romney twice, not Romney, his favorite right. senator. Yeah. So, I'm so, 08 and 12. So when I'm you like see – yeah, wow. And so when you see, <laughs> when you see the, the way that the Republican Party is developed now, we can, we can pretty safely assume right now there won't be any Republicans voting for impeachment. I, that feels like a pretty safe assumption at this point. Uh, I think it's unlikely. You mean that, House in the House side? In the yeah, House yeah, side. Yeah. And then on the Senate, you know – uh, very unlikely at this point that right. um, that there's there's maybe in Romney votes to, to convict. We'll see. Think, yeah. But when you see the way that the Republican Party has rallied behind Trump, and that there's almost no dissenting voice around that, is that because he was right and he has uncovered all of these deep state machinations, and there's a new outrage in town, or is it? that they've made a calculation that Donald Trump is the Republican Party, the Republican Party is Donald Trump, and there's no future outside of that? I think that is the existential question when we look at 2020 and beyond. There's no question that the Republican Party 
has been trans has has shifted. Uh, its policy interests have shifted. I think that has then left some gaps in the middle. You see Democrats trying to reach equilibrium, taking some of that trade, obviously being the most the biggest example that we can all point to yeah. of the parties reaching equilibrium. I call it the hungry, hungry hippo theory. Like if there's any balls in the middle and balls here equal voters, the hungry, hungry hippos uh, just start slamming down to try to grab those uh, remaining balls. So no question that uh, as the party has shifted, you've seen some left behind, a lot of retirements, especially on the House side, happening. Uh, and it's not, um, it's not, we're not going to have the Goldwater moment in 73. There is no Goldwater. But even if there were, we don't live in a political climate where Donald Trump would care what a Goldwater says because the institution itself no longer exists in the same way. Goldwater represented the institution of the Republican Party, which existed separate from Richard Nixon. And that's why it was so damning when he says, you ain't got us anymore. This, this is, of course, Goldwater going to the White House with a group of Republican senators telling Nixon it was time to go. Um, I figure if you're listening to, yes. to John you, you Carlin yeah, replying, yeah, you you're well. well you know but so, so I'm trying to imagine. So this would be Romney going with Susan Collins and, uh, and Lisa Murkowski to the White House and knocking on the door. Well, and nobody can't. answering. They wouldn't, yeah, they, <laughs> New phone, who yeah. dis? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe a tweet of the tack before they could get back in the car yeah. on, their, on their way back. I, I, I find that fascinating, Sarah. I mean, that, that I think – for this moment, that we sit here with the president on the verge of impeachment, and um, there's a we're a year away from presidential election. There is no serious primary challenge. There's really no primary challenge to the president. There is no. There are fewer and fewer opposition voices in the party. The the ones that 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 used to exist um, have like Senator McCain passed away, or Senator Flake have retired. Uh, people like Nikki Bob Haley, Bob Corker's out there. Bob Corker, Corker left office as well. Nikki Haley, who a lot of people thought would be kind of a more independent voice, has, has aligned on, herself on more closely. Um, Lee Stefanik, representing a younger generation of Republicans, has declared herself on the Trump train 100. percent There we doesn't have the seem to be that daylight. The story of Elise Stefanik and Will Hurd. That is the right. That is the path yeah. that diverged in the woods. That was the uh, well. That was the, the the opportunity the Democrats thought of maybe getting a couple of Republicans on board for impeachment. That's gone. And mm-hmm. and when the president misconstrues, and I think that's a fair assessment of his words, misconstrues the IG report, uh, there there seems to be a lot of complicity in the Republican Party to go along with that. I think on the other side, though, the Democrats have really lost elevation. They had a nice upward trajectory in polling in in this town, to to use the phrase, as well, when impeachment started rolling down the hill. And then and we can talk about why that is, but it hit a wall. Yeah. Uh, impeachment stagnated. If anything, the numbers moved back the other way. And I don't think that is a purely partisans coming home. I think that some of the fault does lie with sort of a failure to make the case in a lot of ways. I think some of it is that it's hard these days. <laughs> you see it in the Mueller report and the IG report. Uh, perhaps reporters are doing such a good job getting news out in real time that there are no surprises left. So what were the Democrats supposed to do? There's no bombshell. We've all already heard it before. And so as the temperature of the water goes up, we frogs out in the world are just enjoying our bathtub. So uh, I, I, <laughs> I know that's a, that, that's a, that would be a great place to end. But, 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 before, but before you go, I want you to help uh, pull back the curtain a little bit as somebody who made decisions uh, over at the Justice Department on interviews, on uh, how to, how to uh, interact with the media at big moments of uh, uh, – this, this is John Carl about to ask why he didn't get an interview. Yes. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? I mean, that entire time. Um, 
So Christopher Ray, who you I think correctly point out, and you would know better than us, uh, has has done the best. Has done worked very hard to stay out of the limelight um, and out of all of these controversies while defending his people, his institutions. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But what do you make of? Uh, I want to ask you what you make of two decisions and what you think was behind these decisions because these are the decisions that you, in your former life, would have been. Well, at least one of them you would have been involved in. Um, what, do you, what, what do you what do you make of the decision of Chris Ray to go out and do an interview immediately as this report is being released? A, and what do you make of the decision of Barr to come out the next day? And I don't know because I don't work at NBC News, and I don't think any of us here do. But um, <laughs> but I had certainly thought that the Barr interview with Pete Williams was scheduled for the for, for two days after and, and it was quickly moved up I don't again I don't know I mean I'm just uh, it, it, it seemed like it was pretty hastily uh, as usual John um, is very well put sourced. together put together uh, so you have the decision a of Ray to do the interview immediately as the report is coming out with ABC with ABC which is a much better choice by the way <laughs> um, and um, although Pete Williams is a good guy uh, and, 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 and Barr to come as seems about as quickly as he could get to the camera to answer it with his own interview on NBC. What do you make of those two decisions? It surprised me not at all that Ray made the decision to go out right away. I think that was the right move. In this case, you want to be the voice controlling the initial spin the best you can. I think that uh, messaging-wise, he probably didn't... Uh, I don't know, creative enough isn't the right term. I think he could have sat on the fence a little better um, than on execution. But doing the interview, no-brainer. I don't see how you could not. I mean, every second of every hour that ticked by, what does Chris Ray think would be the number one question I think all of us would have had. Uh, Before you answer my my second question, so would your successor Mm – Carrie Kupek, would, would, would she have been in, aware or involved in that decision? <laughs> I'm trying to get Sarah in trouble Ray. here. This is fun. <laughs> okay. And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not asking you to give me Rixie's my face. confidential like, oh, information. I don't know. But would, would, no, I don't would, have any confidential information. Would, I just have would Sarah, feelings. <laughs> would Sarah Isger, if she had been in that job, have been involved in that decision? Would the FBI have brought you into the loop? Would you have been involved in that? Would you have, would you have even known about it? I mean, just tell me how that how that process works over there. Because again, as you pointed out in the org chart, the FBI is part of the Department of Justice. You were the supreme allied spokesperson for the <laughs> Department of Justice. So would they have had to have kind of run it by you? Would you have been involved in that? Tell me how that works. Whew. This is good stuff, Rick. Come on. I know. No, this is good. This is good. I, love, I want this answer. <laughs> okay. Well, so the answer is on paper, uh, absolutely the FBI director should have informed the Department of Justice that he was doing that interview. I would say that in usual times, they have more of an ask forgiveness rather than permission uh, type system in place. There is, uh, or or was, I can't speak to now, uh, they're supposed to give a heads up every department. Don't forget, we also have, you know, under the Department of Justice, ATF, BOP, DEA, there's a, you know, a whole lot of alphabet letters hanging out uh, under DOJ. Uh, all of them are supposed to say if they have any major requests coming in. Does that always happen? <laughs> no, but I think this one would have been a pretty egregious one not to know about in advance. It's not like you're going to 
So would it, have, would it have been basically Ray or his spokesperson just kind of saying, by the way, we're going to interview in five minutes? Or would it have been, hey, do you think it's a good idea? Or is it okay? Or, we let, you know, or, or would it have been like a kind of a, an FYI or, or an ask permission? Uh, it is often more of an FYI. Okay, and, and, and a pretty, at a pretty short notice? That depends. Okay. Not always. Okay, so, get, so get, how about Barr? Barr's decision to go out so immediately following this and to be pretty aggressive in disagreeing with what Ray um, had Same to, reason, though, if anything, I'm surprised that Barr didn't, frankly, try to preempt Yeah, Ray. Wait, that he waited the day of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He didn't do like what he did with the Mueller report and come out right. like, you know. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Because, and we can, uh, again, I'm not speaking to the substance of it, but politically, I don't know that we've seen a better move uh, in terms of getting ahead of something. So often you see people fall behind the curve. And, and that press conference did control how we were talking about it. Now, some of it was he was wrong the way we were talking about it. But nevertheless, we were still using that as where we started from for the rest of the day. Very Trumpy in, in in terms of the framing. I mean, it really is. That that's a the genius part of the genius of Donald Trump is that labeling and just saying enough that it becomes the way that people understand things, and uh, that I think has filtered down throughout the Republican Party, throughout the federal government. Well, it's very effective. And look, you uh, you know the the media reporters have to take some credit for that. And I've been saying this since 2016. He got $3 billion in earned media, got to yeah. call into shows. This is a symbiotic relationship. If it didn't work, they wouldn't do it. And he said that actually at the rally uh, last night, you know, that, that New York Times would go out of business without me. They're probably going to endorse me because, you know, God knows they. <laughs> I don't guys think the Times the is going to endorse I don't think so. I don't think so. It's a fair, <laughs> fair bet that he's not going to get endorsed by the New York Times. All right. All right. Well, we will let you go. Thank you for jumping in here. I mean, we just, I, I saw you walking by out there. I don't even know what exactly <laughs> you were doing, but uh, but uh, we, we appreciate you coming. We were in. talking acai bowls. <laughs> you mean, know, this is a whole uh, different. This is great. All right, uh, Sarah Isger, who now, of course, a writer with the Dispatch, which we are, uh, you know, I mean, Rick's already all over, right? Come yeah, I love it, love it. Okay, loving it, loving seeing Sarah's byline. All right, we have to take a quick break. When we come back, it's going to be Rick Klein with his uh, exclusive, I believe, very least, exclusive. I mean, for this moment, uh, <laughs> a conversation with a top Trump campaign official out in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Thank you. Welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. Uh, as I mentioned, I had a chance to attend the Trump rally in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And just before it started, I talked to the communications director for the 2020 campaign, Tim Murtaugh. It is loud, uh, but uh, I think you can make out some of the highlights of the conversation. What's the president going to say tonight? I think you'll hear him talk a lot about the strong economy, the strong Pennsylvania economy. I think he'll talk about the success uh, that we're going to finally see USMCA uh, ratified and then uh, the deal struck with Canada and Mexico that uh, he engineered and people said it couldn't be done, but he, he managed to get it done. And I would not be surprised if you heard him talk about the Democrats in Washington and impeachment and uh, probably also the IG report and the FISA abuses that we now uh, are confirmed in the FBI. And I went on to ask Tim a, a little about how how impeachment is playing. The president certainly uh, leaning in on the concept that the Democrats are coming from, for him. So just from a pure political perspective, what's this look like? So in the, in the end, no president wants to be impeached. Let's make that clear. Nobody, nobody wants to be 
abused. But the end result will be that it is, it's going to rebound and be detrimental to the Democrats who brought it about. And one other thing I was struck by at this rally is how similar it looked to the big rallies of 2016. Even the classic rock playlist with Elton John and the Rolling Stones, it's all exactly as it was. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes that was not happening three, four years ago. What we do is uh, with these rallies is, is feed into that. We People who register for rallies, the, uh, they voluntarily, they, re- they digitally raise their hand and say, hey, Trump campaign, communicate with me. That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. Thanks to the whole team, Avery Miller, Angie Yak, Trevor Hastings, today, Susie Liu, filling in behind the microphone. For John Carl, I'm Rick Klein. Check us out next time on Powerhouse Politics.